0: It's Wednesday, September the 30th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. The nine and a half years or so that passed between the standing down as Taoiseach of Brian Cowan and the election of Micheál Martin to that same position was by far the longest period in the opposition wilderness that the history of Fianna Fáil has experienced. Long regarded as one of the most successful political machines in Europe, the party was so damaged by the economic crash and its consequences that some even predicted that it wouldn't survive. They were wrong, of course, and under Michael Martin, the party has made a gradual, incremental sort of a recovery over the past decade, but... Those existential questions have returned in the wake of its disappointing performance in this year's general election and some very bad recent opinion polls, along with the various stutters and stumbles of the new government, which Micheál Martin leads, all of which has led to calls from a number of senior people within the party for a debate on the way forward. To discuss all of this, I'm joined today by historian and Irish Times columnist Dermot Ferreter, uh, by our political editor Pat Leahy and by Fianna Fáil Senator Lisa Chambers. Uh, Dimitri, I'll go to you first. Am I right in describing Fianna Fáil as a sort of, even by international standards, a remarkably successful political machine?
1: Oh, there's no doubt about that. If you look at the 80 years between 1927, when it contested its first election, and 2007, it secured an average of 45% of the first preference votes. That was an extraordinary record by any standards, by Irish standards, by international standards. And it was achieved on the back of a very close attention, obviously, to organizational detail and structure and discipline and centralization, um, but also uh, that sense of it as a national movement. Um, and if you consider, of course, the context in which it emerged, you know, those who had been on the losing side of the Civil War, uh, it also represented an extraordinary comeback for Fina Fall from, from the late 1920s onwards. Uh, I remember in 1992 uh, when Fianna Fáil slipped below 40% of the vote. They got 39.2% of the vote in the 1992 general election, and there was horror and consternation uh, within the party that they could actually drop below 40%. So it gives you an indication, I suppose, of the the heights uh, from which they've which they've come. A lot of their success over the years, uh, you know, was based on a very skillful garnering of of support from different sectors. Uh, of Irish society, we know by the late 1960s that Fianna Fáil was achieving almost equal support from uh, the main three socio-economic groups that were identified for, you know, for polling purposes. And no other party could match that sense of a, a, a catch-all party. Um, so they were very successful in in, in cultivating uh, different groups of voters. Um, and obviously, they also became very much associated with being in power. I mean, one of the reasons why Fianna Fáil was so successful over the years was because they were seen as the national party of government. Um, and I remember even in my own lifetime that, if, you know, if you were an ambitious um, young politician seeking a home or seeking a, a political future, you were more likely to be drawn towards Fianna Fáil because it was seen as the party uh, that would most likely be in power. So, you know, it, it it was able to attract people uh, on that basis. But I think you've also got to consider what, you know, Brendan O'Hare used to talk about how the bottom rung of the ladder to power is hammered into place. Uh, Fianna Fáil was very good on that. You know, when we got uh, Fianna Fáil's archive in the UCD archives there, the, the Parliamentary Party archives, and, you know, a lot of that is centred on the essentially dull details of how you win elections and how you manage your constituency affairs and how you build Uh, your common, your branches uh, across the country, Fianna Fáil devoted more attention to that than any other party. And in many respects, what Sinn Féin is doing now um, is replicating what Fianna Fáil did from the late 1920s onwards uh, in terms of that attention to uh, constituency detail and mobilizing people.
0: We'll come to that question a little later of the the contest between between Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin, Pat. But I mean, you've written books about the party as well, and I mean, I mentioned at the outset obviously the, the huge impact of the of the economic collapse of two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, on the party's fortunes and the huge slump then. But is it fair to say that some of the difficulties that it faces now go back a little further than that? In the the kind of the the great kind of machine which Dermot described there was already getting a little bit creaky. I think.
2: That's part of the explanation, Hugh. I I think you have to look at um, Fianna Fáil's kind of decline over the last number of years and you have to map it against the changes in society to truly appreciate what has happened to the party and why I I, I think that it it, it faces uh, such difficult questions now. And I, I think... You know, of course, we look at, you know, the the period in which, say, de Valera was in power up to the period that Bertie Ahern left power. And we sort of associate all that with the Fianna Fáil hegemony in our politics. And of course, um, it, it's, it's easy to see why. But I think that uh, Fianna Fáil's, the structure of Fianna Fáil and the appeal of Fianna Fáil was changing As society changed and that change in society gathered pace in the 1980s and the 1990s, particularly, and then at breakneck pace through the 2000s. Now, Bertie Ahern's great political success, I think, was in sort of masking the natural decline of the great catch-all party and masking its decline with the political success of being in government at a particularly good time of overhauling its internal organization and uh, improving its electoral performance uh, that that had that had been under Charles Haughey and Albert Reynolds into a much slicker vote winning machine uh, under, uh, under Fiona Fall winning more in, in, in which the constituency based organizations were kind of transformed from from what they had been into a series of sort of local fiefdoms uh, that were occupied by individual TDs. And one of the great uh, innovations that he and Charlie McCreevy and PJ Mara brought in uh, between before that first election that Bertie Hearn won in 1997 and again in 2002 was to get more bang for their vote books in, in in a way so they trimmed election tickets down in a way that fractious local organizations under the uh, under the high leadership might run four candidates you know in in a three or four seater in Bertie Hearn's time that was changed to running the uh, a much smaller number of uh, of of candidates and that gave them a better chance of maximising their seat return from uh, from votes. But it also, as I say, transformed the organisation from a sort of grassroots organisation into one that was dominated uh, by, uh, by, by local TDs. But so successful was Bertie Ahern that he masked, as I say, that natural decline in the big catch all party in as levels of education increased as levels of uh, as urbanization increased as um as as loyalty to political brands in the way that we used to think of a you know a fenafol household having you know seven Fianna Fáil votes in it as society changed that notion became much less powerful and more votes i think were up for grabs in general election campaigns. Now, Bertie Hearn managed to win many of those votes, but he won them uh, on uh, on a different basis or won many of them on a different basis. So when uh, that had previously been run. So when the, the, the tide went out and Fianna Fáil's claims to economic competency and to its ability to be able to, ma- to run the country and run the economy uh, uh, competently and successfully that had been built up over generations that had been traded upon by Bertie Hearn when they were, when they disappeared. In the period of the Great Recession, two thousand and eight to two thousand and eleven, then Fáil's vote, then the collapse in Fianna Falls vote was uh, was enormous, and I think that at this stage the party is still trying to, in a way, come to terms with its transformation from a big catch-all party to a medium-sized party. And I think, I'll finish on this point, I think it is also having difficulty coming to terms with the changed landscape of Irish politics that has taken place over the last, or that has been wrought over the last decade, when the big dividing line in Irish politics, which used to be between Fianna Fail and Fianna Gael and all that went with that, has now changed to between Sinn Féin and between on one side, and between Fianna Fail and Fianna Gael on uh, on the other side. So the reason, I suppose, summing all that up, but the reason why things have changed so much for Fianna Fail is that things have changed
0: hugely in the society uh, and in the political landscape on which it operates. Uh, Lisa, you represent the uh, a younger generation of Fianna Fáil elected politicians, and you were elected to the Dáil in in twenty sixteen. And uh, in terms of that tide going out a bit um, earlier this year, you you lost your seat, and you, you're in the Senate now. The picture which Pat paints of what's happened with the party uh, in the Ahern years, and then in the in the years since, uh, does does that ring true to you in terms of your experience?
3: Yeah, I I think Jeremy and and Pat have um, given a very good overview of the history of the party and where we've come from and where we are today. I think we are... I think we're still recovering somewhat from 2008 and what happened um, in terms of the country going into recession. And, and I think that did knock, it knocked our confidence as a party and as, as an organisation. But I think it took us a, a long time to win back the trust of the people to where we are today. And I think, you know, credit to, to Micheál Martin, he took over the reins of the party when we were at a very low ebb. I, I contested that election. That was my first election in 2011. Um, and maybe I was fortunate that I had nothing to compare it to, but looking back, I can see how difficult that election was for the party. Um, it was a, it was an entirely different campaign to the one I ran in 2016. Um, so even in that that short space of time, those five years, you know, we had, I think, rebuilt uh, to a certain extent. But there's still a, a way to go on that. And I think one of the difficulties we have is that there is maybe a generational divide as well. I would see that as being one of the younger members of the PP, and one of the, I suppose, one of the younger members of the organisation. Um, you know that there are still members of the party that are looking back to the, the Bertie Ahern days and even beyond that. Um, you know, and and remembering and reminiscing of the days when we had seventy seats plus, and you know we had a, a huge share of the the electoral um, percentage of the uh, of, of the electoral votes. And I think that maybe some members are struggling to come to terms with it. I don't think we'll ever see that again. I don't think we'll ever see those huge majorities because Irish politics, like politics everywhere, has become more fractured. And we've seen smaller parties come into the fold and, you know, winning seats here and there. And that takes away from the larger parties. So for us, I think our difficulty now is that we're, we're kind of sandwiched in between Fine Gael and Sinn Féin in that nobody is trying to take Fine Gael's clothes. You know, that they're slightly right to centre. And, you know, they're based policies in terms of minimal state intervention uh lower lower taxes um generally seem to be i suppose focusing more on um middle income high earners and that would be the perception of the party and i'm sure some of their members would disagree with me on that but then you have Sinn Féin on on the left and i think they're becoming even more populist as as the days go on and we're we're stuck in between that in between a kind of a rock and a hard place to try and figure out you know how we maintain the middle and I still hope that there is space for a middle ground party, which is what we are. And yes, I think we we were born out of, of, of as Pat said, a, a kind of a catch all party. And I think Jeremy used the same term as well. Um, you know, where we were able to appeal to all sections of society, I think that's a good thing. I think that's a positive thing because oh, every government should represent all of the people um, and should be able to develop policies that benefit everybody. Um, but I think we can see Finnegale kind of going more right, uh, maybe not tending to to benefit all citizens and Sinn Féin certainly going more left and and looking to a certain catchment as well so for us as a party um you know we need to look at our organization one of the strengths actually um i think that saved us to a certain extent in 2011 you know was the uh, the the existence of the common the Corley Cantor all of our organization on the ground the people were still there the party members were still there and you know they were they were annoyed they weren't happy where the party was at but the foot soldiers were still on the ground um, and that's what saved us and actually helped us to get 20 seats in that election when it could have been worse. Um, and it's the members on the ground that helped us recover. So we've had an organisational change since then where we introduced one member, one vote. And that dispensed with the need and the necessity to have a common because you didn't have the common having their three votes at a convention anymore. So it changed the organisational structure. And over time, we've seen gradually a uh, certain come and fall away because I suppose the need wasn't there. And the organization focused more on kind of Corley canter and Cordedal level. And perhaps that's maybe reduced the level of membership in some areas. And, you know, that may be maybe that's not a good thing for the organisation. It's, it's difficult to tell. I think one member, one vote was seen as empowering members and I think members really like that. But it certainly has saw the demise of the local common in many areas. And I think if it were not for the common in 2011, uh, we might not have had as many seats as we did have.
0: Mm, That is interesting, that structural organisational thing. But also listening to Lisa there, Dermot, I do wonder whether, I mean, there seems to be a broad acceptance now that we're never going to return to the old two or two and a half party sort of system. We're going to have a more, you can call it fragmented or you can call it a more diverse political landscape. But uh, either way, Uh, it begs the question of whether there is the the space for a catch-all party in the old Fianna Fáil mode, which, as Pat said, then benefited from the fact that it was a natural party of government. Neither of those things seems necessarily tenable into the future.
1: It was able to adapt uh, over the years. If you go right back to the foundation of the party in 1926 and what its founding documents stated, uh, it presented itself as a party that was going... Uh, to make sure that the the resources and the wealth of Ireland will be subservient to the needs and the welfare of the people of Ireland, um, and that was a message that chimed in the late 1920s, particularly when Common na um, you know, the first government of the state became more and more associated uh, with a degree of harshness in relation uh, to welfare and the role <coughs> of the state. Um, and you know, Fianna Fáil built on that sense of discontent, but they also uh, got involved in courting uh, rural and urban working class voters, they were building houses, you know, they were introducing greater and more aggressive state intervention when it came to welfare. And, you know, de Valera, uh, you know, as the iconic uh, founding father and, and dominant for so long, was able to say by 1951, and this is the way he put it, um, that Fianna Fáil, uh, we stand for all sections, but we have a special regard for the small farmers and the workers, um, and then at a later stage, that mas- message was adopted by someone like Charles Houghy, for example, in the 1980s, when you had this relationship with the trade union movement and uh, the attempt to recover from um, the, the economic recession in the 1980s, uh, a programme, a partnership programme. Um, and Charles Houghy then talked about, you know, Fianna Fáil being a natural fit for the trade union movement, you know, that they were all part of this Republican philosophy. Um, one of the really interesting questions is class. Um, and, you know, I mentioned earlier on about, you know, Fianna Fáil being able to go after and satisfy uh, certain classes. The alarm bells, I think, really started to go off in 2009. Uh, if you look at the local and European elections of that year, it was clear that Fianna Fáil was really losing the working class vote and other parties were be- were beginning to uh, eat into that. And then 2011, I mean, Fianna let let's not forget, lost nearly half a million uh, first preference votes. It was always going to be a challenge to get get them back but the question of class is still there you know um that urban uh working class vote uh, in particular you can see it in Dublin you know uh, Fianna Fáil losing so badly there and you have to wonder sometimes particularly when you look at Mihal Martin's take on this his preference was again to go reach into the past and stress that he was in the mold of Sean Lamass and Donne O'Malley they were the two individuals he singled out he emphasized that uh, he was from a humble background. He talked about his father as a, a, a bus conductor, uh, trying to distinguish, you know, Fianna Fáil from the posh boys, essentially, uh, was was the unwritten message there uh, of, of, of Fianna Gael. Um, and of course, as we know, Sinn Féin was gobbling up that vote, you know, and there's no sign of that vote uh, disappearing uh, from uh, Sinn Féin's reach. So you've got to wonder... Um, about the uh, the class dimension and the extent to which Fianna Fáil can uh, rebuild that bridge uh, to a working class vote, given the very fragmentation that you're talking about. Now, it's very difficult to see how Fianna Fáil can get back into that space. And perhaps it's going to be even more difficult uh, because they're now in power and they're sharing power um, with uh, a Fianna Gael, who Lisa has identified as representing something else.
0: Yeah, let's talk about Sinn Féin, Pat. I mean, it seems pretty obvious, doesn't it, that the Sinn Féin political project, going right back to the uh, to the late 1990s in uh, in this state, uh, was to eat Fianna Fail's lunch uh, as much as possible and as and as quickly as possible. And in some cases, maybe it took a little bit longer than they thought it would. But they've had some quite a lot of success in that, and particularly a lot of success over the last while. Um, is there space on the Irish political spectrum for both Sinn Féin and Fianna Fail? Is this a kind of a is this a sort of fight to the death?
2: Well, of course, there's certainly space for them both at the moment. And while this year's election was very disappointing for Fianna Fáil, uh, of course, in many ways, let's not forget that it, it, it's still the largest party in uh, in the Dáil, uh, albeit by a tight enough margin. It's the largest party in the Dáil, and it's uh, and and it's leading the government. So I think stand there is clearly room for both of them. But you're right that Fina, that that Sinn Fein's part of the Sinn Fein political. Project is to target much of that uh, of that working class and lower middle class Fianna Fail vote that it got as a matter of course in Dublin for uh, for uh, uh, and elsewhere for so long. I think Sinn Féin is fighting on, on or has been fighting on two fronts, though. Um, I mean, if you look at the growth in the Sinn Féin vote in, in 2011, that great cataclysm for Fianna Fáil was relatively limited, whereas Fianna Fáil lost a quarter of the electorate in that vote, 25 percentage points. Not that their vote went down by a quarter, but they lost a quarter of all the votes uh, cast in that election. And Sinn Féin's gain was pretty minimal. Um, I mean, the party at that point was simply continuing. It hadn't made the quantum breakthrough. It was uh, it was growing slowly and steadily. So it's not necessarily you know, the case that all those Fianna Fáil votes immediately flooded to Sinn Féin. So I think in the interim, what Sinn Féin has been trying to do is to consolidate its votes on the left but also, I think the next phase of that project is now to eat into Fianna Fáil support in the more centre-left ground. And it's interesting to me to look at the messages and the platforms upon which they're building that assault on Fianna Fáil. And it is twofold it is nationalism so they're call, call the constant calls for uh, a border poll and for the reunification of uh, of the island and it's this sort of economic populism or left populism as uh, as ono brin has called it a much more socialist stroke social democratic economic platform, much more redistributionist. If you go back to the election manifestos upon which the parties fought the election earlier this year, Sinn Féin's was by far the most left-wing of the um, of uh, of of the main parties, promising uh, a redistributionist government that was, you know, vastly more active in the market and in redistribution than uh, either of the main two parties. And in a way, and, you know, Dermot, Dermot, De- uh, 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 De- De- I'm sure would have views on this. That was the kind of basis of that much of that long period of hegemony from Devilera era through Lamas to High, even to Ahern, in a way that was certainly in rhetorical terms, Nationalist and economically left-wing, and it's interesting that that's where Sinn Féin now seeks to target Fianna Fáil.
0: And is that therefore, Lisa, where Fianna Fáil needs to think about repositioning itself in in order to fight off that challenge on the front both at the front of the the Irish unity? Saw some very spiky exchanges between Micheál Martin and members of Sinn Féin in the in in the Dáil uh, this week on that subject, and also on a, a more left-wing interventionist economic policies.
3: Like I don't think we should seek to try and emanate a, 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 do do what Sinn Féin are doing. Um, you know, certainly I think they've been called out on a number of occasions in the last uh, week or so by Micheál Martin. You know, in terms of their essentially speaking out of both sides of their mouth in terms of nationalism and Irish unity. I mean, a lot of the actions they've taken, in particular calling for a border poll at such a sensitive time, have had the opposite effect. It's, it's only bringing, moving both sides further apart. I think Michal's made that point very clear that if they're actually interested in united Ireland, they have to build a shared island through peaceful means. Um, and that, that's that's always been our policy. Um, and you know, I think we don't need to be skilled by Sinn Féin on on the Good Friday Agreement or wanting peace on the island. And certainly, I don't think they've done anything to help that uh, themselves in the last number of years. Um, their 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 politics for me is very populist. Uh, they tell people what they want to hear. Uh, they say all the right things because you know it's a very simple message. You know, we'll we'll do all all the good stuff and and take none of the responsibility. And a lot of the calls within our own party was that. After the last election, surely that they should be let into government to expose these weaknesses. And that didn't happen. So some of our own members would feel that they're getting away with with promising the sun, moon and the stars, knowing that they don't have to deliver on it. And that we're now in government taking the tough decisions and being responsible. Um, For us, I think we have to try and allow the middle to hold, the centre ground to hold. Uh, I don't know, do we want a politics where it's left versus right, where it becomes more polarised? Because that's, what hap- that's what's happening in other countries. I mean, you take a look, for example, at the, the US presidential debate that took place last night, left versus right, red versus blue. Is that the kind of politics that we want to send to? Is that where we want to go? And I would argue that there is space for a middle ground party, you know, a party that's pro-business, which we are in Bina Fall, but also looks after the more vulnerable in our society, is, is, wants to see public housing uh, built uh, so people have homes, uh, and, and make sure that there is a redistribution of wealth in a fair way. Uh, not just promising a wealth tax across the board and everything will be fine after one budget, which is what Sinn Féin are proposing. So no, I don't think we need to do what they're doing. What I think we need to do is articulate better where we are, what our policies are, what we stand for, and why it's important to have a middle ground party, why it's important to resist the left versus right, uh, because I don't think that's going to serve the country in the long run.
0: Just to follow up on that, Lisa, I mean, obviously, you know, as I said, you lost your seat in Mayo. Uh, Sinn Féin picked up a seat. Um, Fianna Fáil did not perform very well in Dublin. A lot of its targets it failed to achieve. So there is a problem both in urban and in rural areas. There's this sector of the electorate, which, as Pat says, has deserted you and which in in large part, uh, or a lot of them, have gone to Sinn Féin. Does Fianna Fáil not need to reflect or adjust to that reality?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, I think we do need to look at the election that just happened, the general election in February, and and assess, you know, what happened and where the campaign went wrong. You know, in the run-up to that election, the polling was telling us that we were on course to take between 50 and 60 seats. And over the course of that campaign, that changed and it changed very quickly. And we haven't really recovered fully from that. So, yes, we need to review. We need to look internally as to what we need to do as a party to re-establish ourselves, to get our message out better. Um, But because things change so fast in February, you know, arguably they can change again. So, you know, as they say, a week is a long time in politics. Come the next election, we don't really know what the results will be post that. But certainly as a party, we have a job of work to do to, to, I suppose, assert our own identity as a party, which is going to be difficult in a tripartite government um, where we're sharing the platform with Fine Gael and the Green Party. But I think we need to hammer home the message that we've stepped into the breach. We're in government. We're taking the, stup- the tough decisions. We wanted to lead. We wanted to be in government and we wanted that responsibility. And that's why we took on. we took the more difficult portfolios. We have the portfolios of health, of housing. Of education, the really difficult ones, uh, because we wanted to show that we can make a difference in those. But I fully accept that we will be judged upon our delivery and how we perform in government. And, and only time will tell come the next election whether we've met inroads in terms of asserting the party's identity uh, and making that recovery. Um, and certainly, I mean, if, if, look at my own constituency of Mayo, there's no doubt about it. We lost a seat in thing, gained a seat. So that's pretty obvious what happened there. Um, but equally, you know, if you go back just before the election, nobody would have first saw that happening. I mean, we really didn't see that coming until the last week. That's how quickly it changed. Dearmer, can
0: I ask you something um, about Michael Martin's strategy? Not just over the last few months, but over the last few years. My perception was, and I hope Lisa won't uh, uh, won't be too upset by this, was that the traditional Fianna Fail approach in opposition was to it was to oppose with both barrels, uh, blazing, and to like I remember, you know, Charles Haughey's position on everything from the Anglo-Irish Agreement to economic policy in the nineteen eighties. Uh, I remember the nineteen seventy seven Fianna Fail manifesto. Uh, there was never a Fianna Fail version of the Talis strategy, and in, in in those times, but there was over the last few years, particularly since uh, since 2016, and there was a widespread perception that that didn't do Fianna Fáil a lot of favours because it failed to distinguish them sufficiently from from Fine Gael and some of those chickens are coming home to roost now.
1: Well, that's where you have to distinguish, I suppose, between the verdict of history and the consequences for the welfare of the party. History may well be kind uh, to Micheál Martin um, in the context of the Confidence and Supply Agreement because it may be deemed um, that it, it was the right thing to do for the betterment of the country. Perhaps you could say the same um, about Alan Jukes uh, in, in the 1980s. Um, but I think one of the most interesting things about uh, Michal Martin's approach is his visceral hatred of Sinn Féin, and it's palpable, you know, and it, it does seem to be deeply personal. Um, I think the big relief that Fianna Fáil had in 2016 was that they were still far enough ahead of, of, of Sinn Féin to have a degree of comfort um, that they could retain that gap. Um, but of course, that hasn't happened. And that relates to another issue that's been brought up there about identity. You know, what is the Republican identity of Fianna Fáil? Uh, let's not forget, Fianna Fáil is the Republican Party, you know, and they've always had a very strong attachment to that notion um, of, of the fourth green field. Uh, one of the founding aims of their party, of course, was to bring the unity uh, of Ireland. And Michal Martin is always going to be remind by, reminded by those who feel they are the guardians of the soul of that party, people like Eamon O'Keeve, uh, that they can't leave that ground uh, to Sinn Féin. And I would say that Michal Martin has gone out of his way to be much less strident um, in relation to that Republican identity. He's been very careful about what he said um, about Northern Ireland um, in, you know, in, a, in a manner that differs uh, from his uh, predecessors. Uh, And that's the interesting thing as well about uh, the kind of vote that that Fianna Fáil might be going after on the generational question. You know, I mean, Fianna Fáil is going after to a a traditional vote that it's an older vote. You know, it's a Catholic nationalist vote, uh, you you might describe it. Uh, And that's shrinking uh, all of the time. And there are a lot of younger uh, voters who are quite taken with the idea of the Republican project, you know, uh, there's a degree of romanticization, I think, about that as well. Uh, but again, you know, uh, Sinn Féin is, is is playing up to that. Um, and I think one of the most interesting things about Micheál Martin's position at the moment is just how fragile it is. You know, what Fianna Fáil has been able to do historically is keep its battles internal, is ensure centralization and discipline. Um, there was a tendency to to try and wear people down within Fianna Fáil on the on, on the part of, of, of De Valera you know, to ensure that there was a public consensus. Uh, what Micheál Martin has been experiencing in recent times is a complete lack of discipline. It's not uncommon when parties feel they're on the ropes uh, for these for this discontent to manifest itself. Uh, but again, you know, in 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 taking the long view of the party and how they've managed leadership and how they've built so much around the leader, not for the slogans. Um, associated with Fianna Fáil over the years, were built on loyalty to the leader, you know, uh, going right back to Updev and let Lamas lead on and I'm backing Jack. Um, So Michal Martin doesn't have that sense of loyalty. He's not commanding that kind of loyalty. Um, So there are problems there in relation to, you know, discipline within the party and uh, what public um, profile and what public um, message Uh, it's communicating in relation to its own ranks.
0: Yeah I want to ask Pat something about that but before that I just want to say to our listeners that if they want to support this podcast and indeed all the journalism that we do at the Irish Times uh, just go to irishtimes.com slash inside and if you haven't done so already I hope you have but if you haven't you can sign up there for unlimited access. If you use that particular address it allows us to know how many of our podcast listeners are also Irish Times subscribers which is good for the podcast. If you are a listener uh, uh, to this podcast you might be particularly interested in our current offer which is a free pair of Sennheiser wireless headphones and if you purchase a premium weekend or complete Subscription. You'll get a pair of them. All the information is at irishtimes. dot com slash inside. Yeah, Pat. The, there's a kind of a. I'm not even sure it's a kind of ineffable uh, subject when it comes to Fianna Fáil, which is the idea that it's more than just a political party; that it's a movement, and um, that it has a sort of a quality which Dermot kind of touched on there—a quality of the the a great national project, and and very often that's embodied in the leader and a certain kind of loyalty to the leader as well. All that magic seems to be gone. Is there any way of getting it back?
2: I would draw a distinction um Dermot is, is is absolutely right about what has happened to the party in terms of discipline and you only have to look at the recent selection of ministers in the government for uh for evidence of that. Um Leo Varadkar sacked I don't know how many cabinet and ju- and junior ministers and there was barely a peep out of them, um, those who failed to secure uh, promotions in Fianna Fall immediately ran to their local or national radio stations and made uh, a huge song and dance uh, out of their uh, emission. Um, Michal Martin has had that problem with his party, with his parliamentary party, really since he became leader, and I think it has become uh, chronic since the general election, of this year. Now, talk to people, you know, who are dissatisfied with their leadership and uh, and they will give you lots of reasons for it, not just related to the management of the general election campaign, the political positioning of the party, but also of his perceived remoteness from much of the parliamentary party's reliance on advisers rather than the advice of his TDs and uh, and and so forth. But whatever the reasons for it, it is a fact. But outside the parliamentary party and in the broader organisation, it seems to me that Micheál Martin retains a significant degree of Support. So while there was a lot of muttering at the Parliamentary Party about the deal, uh, the coalition deal with Fine Gael, he secured the backing of three quarters of the organisation. Um, so in terms of a threat to his leadership, um, I'm, I'm not sure I see that as immediate. Now, it is certainly the case that there is, I think probably for the first time, not an anti Martin wing of the parliamentary party, because that has existed for some time, but there is now a more coherent and organized anti martin wing of the parliamentary party. They are talking to one another they're talking about the possibility of uh, of removing him, albeit that I think that political realities mean that that is not an uh, an an immediate prospect, but it might come onto the agenda. Uh, uh in in uh, at, at some stage uh, at some stage next year and um, the question of that you started off with about the great national movement and the prospects of getting that back i i think that people's relationships with parties has changed now as going back to the earlier point i made about society changing um you know people's relationship the the degree of party loyalty is much lower now. People shop around for their political preferences, there are many more votes up for grabs over the course of an election campaign. And Lisa spoke about how, you know, things changed for Fianna Fáil over the course of the campaign. And they did. They changed dramatically over the course of the campaign for both Fianna Fáil and, uh, and for Sinn Féin. But that is what campaigns now do. Campaigns are more and more important because there are, because the the, the loyalties of uh, of many voters is so much less tethered to an ancestral political home, and they will make a judgment on politics uh, in, in the way that they almost make judgments on you know on on, on on other kind of consumer issues on how to you know where to you know where to buy their clothes or 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 uh, or where to do their their grocery shopping so I think that that idea of the great the great national movement is uh, is probably redundant in Fianna Fáil's case. And it's also, frankly, not really feasible to talk about a great national movement when you're at somewhere between 10 and 19% in the opinion polls.
0: Before I go to Lisa on that, let me just ask you a follow-up question, which Lisa might find slightly embarrassing, which is that one of the disappointing things for Fianna Fáil uh, in the election just gone was losing... Candidates of the uh, of the ability and also the background that she has, and the front bench which we saw during the campaign, and indeed the people who were jostling for ministerial position, they were of a certain age, they were of a certain gender, they um, they were perhaps not as inspiring as as the party might wish. I think that there
2: is, you know, the Fianna Fáil parliamentary party to some degree uh, reflects. Uh, it's voters, which are older and uh, more rural and uh, on socialist issues, many of them more conservative than the mean irish voter and I think that is a uh, i think that is a problem for the party because if you're uh, you know if your if your support is heavily skewed towards the over 55s or the over 65s, as Fianna falls is, well, you know, there are obvious implications for the longevity of that support.
0: Lisa, there's been talk from Billy Callagher, the MEP, and, and others of some sort of process of regeneration, review, um, a reset for the party. Do you think a sort of a formal process of some sort would be would be useful?
3: Yeah, I, I do. And actually that's been um, committed to by the Taoiseach. We've had this discussion at the PP... Not the most recent one, but the one before that, um, where we discussed the review. So we are expecting that to happen. It it needs to happen. We need to have a retrospective look at, you know, what happened during that campaign and the lead up to it. And why we were on course for almost 60 seats did we end up with nearly half that. So, um, you know, we do need to look at that. And I think, you know, in terms of our core vote and our base, I think we retreated back to our very core vote on our base in the election. We lost the kind of the swing vote, if you want to call it that. So our core vote is predominantly, I would argue, at the minute, um, it is conservative. It is a lot of rural base, and it is maybe an older generation. So we know, we know, we get a, a, a bigger vote in that cohort of voters. That proves a difficulty for candidates, um, you know, to try and take extra extra seats in constituencies. And I think I felt foul of that as well because you know, we needed to do more than just get the core vote. We needed to get the additional kind of swing votes um, and that went away from us. So we lost, we lost candidates across the country, second seats that we thought we were going to retain, but we didn't. Um, and that is a challenge for us. We know that we have a particular body of work to do in terms of younger voters, in terms of female voters. Um, and, you know, I think that the social issues that we dealt with in the last term were very difficult for the party. And we really had our differences aired very publicly and, um, but you know, the positive, I would say, to that is that we were the only party not to lose anybody from the PP on foot of those issues. And it was a very transparent and open debate. And we championed a free vote. And I think that was actually a positive out of it, um, if, you, if, you, if you want to look for those things. So you know, like we do, have, we do have work to do. And I think um, if you look at the breakdown, we've got, we have got we comprise one third of the shannets because we've got such a huge uh, councillor base. We're the largest party in local government. And you could arguably say that the more liberal wing of the party is in Shannad Um, which I think is an interesting mix as well. So, um, you know, there is, I think there's scope there to grow. um, And I don't, I really don't foresee a leadership contest. You know, maybe maybe there is chat happening. I'm certainly not involved in it. Um, But I I don't think there's any leadership uh, on the horizon, any contest. Um, And I think Pat was right in pointing out that the wider membership base, you know, the fact that there was, you know, Three quarters of support for the programme for government and entering into government, I think is a testament to the fact that the membership more broadly uh, trusts the leader's um, instincts and they trust that he is making the right call and they gave him that support, and that space to do that.
0: In other countries, in other European countries, um, the gap in the market in politics these days seems to be for a socially conservative, economically interventionist party. They're the ones that have gained ground most in the last 10 years for good or ill. And that seems to be a space which which Fianna Fáil under Michal Martin has, be, has carefully avoided, certainly on the socially conservative part. He's really used the force of his leadership to push back against uh, moves in that direction.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think again, there, there, there's a really diverse uh, range of views within the parliamentary party and the membership. Um, you know, like I would have very different views on certain social issues to some of my colleagues in the PP. I mean, we would be at en- opposite ends of the spectrum, um, quite frankly. And I think that's a good thing. You know, I think, again, that's because we are a middle ground centrist party. We are a party that can represent all aspects of society. And, you know, I think, you know, in terms of, of some certain uh, so- social issues that we debated in the last term, you know, we had those debates very publicly and very openly. And you. For the most part, you knew where every single member of the PP stood on the issue. Um, the same could not be said of other parties, and they were very careful to avoid having that conversation publicly. Um, and maybe that was to our detriment, but I, again, I think that's positive. So it, I don't think it's that we're avoiding the socially conservative views. We actually we we have we, we're we're a home to those views, just as we are a home to more liberal views um, on on those issues. And I don't see a problem with that.
0: Dermot, what do you think the future holds for Fionafol?
1: I'm not sure those culture wars, as we used to call them, um, are, are going to be the defining issue for Fianna Fáil. I mean, Lisa has continually referred to going after the middle ground. Um, you know, th- that's a difficult territory uh, for Fianna Fáil to capture. I and mean, we shouldn't be too parochial in our thinking about this, because you could argue that what Fianna Fáil has been experiencing is has been mirrored in some respects by the fate of social democratic parties in other parts of Europe, you know, where they're uh, pushing the idea of market liberalisation, but also high spending on, on public service, on social services, and and, and getting that combination right. Uh, I think the difficulty in terms of regeneration, which goes to the heart uh, of your question, um, is that they're going to be attempting this not just in uh, in, in a smaller space, um, but also they're going to be doing it from government. Uh, I remember looking at the archives for Fianna Fáil in 1948 when they got such a land in 1948 that they were actually uh, out of government after 16 years in power um, and they began a process of, of an internal uh, look at the, the, the party organisation and revitalization and revamping the party knowing that they were going to be back in power because they saw it as their political mission uh, at that stage to clean up after Fine Gael uh, which is the, the way it was put at the time but again they were doing that from opposition. Um, it can be uh, difficult to regenerate your party when you are in power and not only in power but it looks like they're going to be in power at an extraordinarily difficult time uh, for the country and, and for the economy and indeed for politicians.
2: Last thought, Pat? I think the only prospect for uh, a political revival for Fianna Fáil and to get around these historical forces or to overcome these historical forces that are arranged against us um, is success in government. It's to make a difference in people's lives on the issues that dominated their political choices when they came to vote in the 2020 election on the health service, on housing, on other quality of life, uh, stroke, economic issues, I think the only uh, the only way forward for Fianna Fáil is to make a conspicuous success of those issues, so that they can say to people when they go to the next election, when we came into government, you know this was the situation. Look, we have made uh, we have made this difference, and we deserve uh, some credit for it the difficulty in that is that as dermot says it is in government at an extraordinarily difficult time and while the economic realities that that the pandemic will you know will inflict on the public finances on the scope of government to provide services and uh, and so forth for people those have been masked for a period, by this massive borrowing spree that this government, and in fairness governments all over the Western world, have undertaken. But that is un- unsustainable in the longer term. It may even be unsustainable in the medium term. So in a way, you know, Fianna Fáil in-, in government is slightly at the mercy of events. And uh, I-, I think where I a member of the party where I and Lisa's position are a minister in the uh, in the current government that sort of slight helplessness in the face of uh, of events over which they have little control uh, would be the thing that makes me most nervous
0: I suppose we all suffer from that these days to some extent we shall leave it there anyway thanks very much to Pat, to Dermot, and to Lisa thanks to our producer Suzanne Brennan and JJ Vernon our engineer and if you do want to get in touch with us we are always delighted to hear from you just email us at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com but until the next time thanks very much indeed for listening listening.